everyone uh clearly this is going to be something different today as you can tell um, by the title of the video um, our last episode we we ranked the discography of the band saigon kick um, which for the most part is is all about the uh wonderful musician jason beeler and as luck would have it on the episode we said hey wouldn't it be cool to get jason beeler on and talk to him we haven't had a guest before um but Jason Beeler uh, apparently is a, an amazing dude, and um, he reached out to me just to say thanks. You know, thanks for for talking about the music. It was fun, and I just responded to him and said, "Hey, you want to be on the show?" <laughs> and uh, and he responded with absolutely. And so, um, what you're about to see right now is uh, like an hour hour and fifteen minutes, maybe a little bit less, of uh, us just chatting with Jason Beeler about not only Saigon Kick. But uh, the current stuff that he's doing and just about music in general, um, it was it was a great chat. Eddie, you have anything to say before we, we move into the interview? Interview was really fun. I had a hell of a good time and I look forward to doing more in the future. Yeah. Any other artists that are, <laughs> that are watching this that we've done their stuff and you want to, you know, you want to be able to. To, Come on to, down to uh, <laughs> yeah to spend an hour with us. Um, we did pretty good for our first our first interview as a podcast. I, I think we did pretty damn good. So um, hopefully you guys enjoy this. So here it is, uh, uh, Cranked and Ranked, the first interview ever on Cranked and Ranked with Mr. Jason Beeler. There you go. Enjoy it, dude. Mr. Beeler, hello, sir. Gentlemen, is that my lyrical collaborator, Eddie? I can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What an inspiration that was. I, I I thought I was cutting edge, but then when I really heard the reinterpretation, I was like, this must happen. <laughs> yeah, that'll be for the remix. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, first off, I got to say, you are a punctual motherfucker, and I appreciate that. So, Only because yeah. I fear, you know, I, I, growing up, I, I lived in a family that, you know, on time was 10 minutes late. Yes, and I, I absolutely agree. I mean, and and it, uh, uh, and so before we even start, like you, I got to let you know that you have you may if you watch the episode then you probably know this, that you are the very first guest we've ever had on Cranked and Ranked. And that probably is, the last, you know. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, we've uh, we I don't know why we've never really thought about getting anybody on the show because it's always just like us ranking stuff. And we've never really like occasionally we'll have those artists where we go, I'd be cool to talk to them, but it's never really a thing that's like materialized. And so at this point, you've now made this a reality well, and created well, I, a new portion of our well, podcast. Thank you. I mean, I have to say, you know, I, I, you get links on occasion wherever you're watching, but you guys were uh, frustratingly accurate with some of the descriptions. <laughs> and I felt uh, it warranted a, uh, you know, it seemed like a good time. So. Well, we well, we really appreciate it, and uh, and we've got we've got some you know actual questions, you know, interview style questions. But I figure that like if for some reason we veer off into some because a lot of our podcast episodes we start talking about completely unrelated shit for ten minutes, and then we're yeah. absolutely fine with that. Much like my but, life, 
<laughs> well, m- much like a lot of your music, sometimes it just veers off into an area you weren't expecting. You wander yeah. about aimlessly in the dark, hoping you don't bang your foot off the you know any furniture, and uh, on occasion <laughs> yeah. you make it where you're intending to go. Yeah, which is that's cool. actually a, a nice place to begin because I think that Eddie might have a similar question relating to this, but. Going back to because our episode was about Saigon Kick, and I realize you've been doing a lot other music more with more of your life than that small amount of time with Saigon Kick, but that was obviously what we were ranking. But um, the the when you first got the the band together and you first started putting songs together, was the intention for the music to have all these different elements or, or did it just kind of happen organically that way? It's been a blessing and a curse um, Mm -hmm. in the sense that it actually, I think, I think like you guys kind of alluded to, it makes more sense now, I think Mm -hmm. than it did because I don't think anybody cares anymore. Like I remember, you know, I'm obviously a little bit, older than you guys, but I remember like, you know, lunch, you sat with the new wave kids or you sat with the metal kids and you didn't socialize with anybody that wasn't in your exact wheelhouse of music. Um, But growing up, I mean, I just listened to so many different types of things. So, I mean, obviously I loved the Beatles and I loved Ozzy and I loved, you know, alternative music and I loved the fifth dimension and I loved Barry Manilow and I loved Meshuggah and I love Bjork and I love, you know, I mean, Tom Waits, Elvis Costello, Jane's Addiction, Queen. I mean, I just love music. Yeah. Um, and, Best way to be. And I felt really, I just couldn't be real about making any kind of music if I was going to sit up there and pretend like I was a hardcore metal dude or that I was a pop dude or that yeah. I was anything in particular because it's just not true to who I am. I mean, I am in awe. I just like great music. So, I mean, I think it's Miles Davis said there's like two types of music great and the other kind. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's I, how I, I agree. Feel. And I think, I think that my, my particular age group, because I was born in, in 78. And so by the time I was becoming a teenager, the way, the way that music was unfolding around my group of friends, there really wasn't that division because we were kids that got into metal and then once the alternative scene started to spring up, we liked that as well. And then when the grunge shit happened, we liked that as well. And then all of a sudden we got into punk music. It was just this thing where we didn't really like have a division. We just sort of went wherever the music took us. And so I think that's why bands like yours, you know, ended up resonating with me because it just reminds me of that feeling of when I was young. And it's like, I, I would prefer to hear something that surprises me and is good than something that's like high quality, but it's kind of shit that I've already heard before. And so that's, well, I think I that's mean, why it I, resonates with me. I always attribute my originality to being a horrible uh, ripoff artist. I'm so bad at ripping <laughs> people off. It sounds almost original. That's, that's, a, that's, I, that's pretty interesting. I, I feel like, cause, cause I've, I've actually been a musician and songwriter and, and so is Eddie, but I, and, and I've been doing it, you know, since the mid nineties, but a lot of my stuff, I think that's where my sound came from, was I didn't know how to do the stuff I wanted to do good enough. And <laughs> I figured out my own way to do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, but for but for for Eddie, Eddie is is 20 years younger than me, even. So he's born in the late 90s and he still somehow finds his way to Saigon Kick, which is yeah, which pretty is cool. amazing. And so that that so is that is that something I'm pretty sure that when you guys were making the first couple Saigon Kick albums, you weren't really thinking 30 years into the future about what the music was going to age like. I mean, like. It, it all kind of happened backwards for Saigon Kick. I mean, I always wrote songs. 
um, yeah. and spent a lot of time doing that. Um, but we were in South Florida where there was no music scene, you know, at the time really to speak of. I mean, it wasn't, you know, we didn't, we hadn't moved to LA, which kind of probably worked to our advantage because we didn't have a hundred bands at our rehearsal space doing this, what was happening at the time. And that yeah. inevitably seeps into how you think. And so we were kind of off in this weird area where it was like Miami Sound Machine, Tom Petty, uh, you know, Molly Hatchet off in the way distant, you know, there was just, there's no interconnected, like a sound from there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we didn't have a demo tape. We just started playing. And it's literally that story of like, we played once and there was 20 people. And then we played again a month later and there was 40 people. And then it got to the point over a course of about a year and a half where we were drawing like 1500 or 2000 people. And like I was delivering sandwiches for a sub shop one day and I was literally going to LA to record the debut record the next day. Yeah. It happened like really kind of backwards. So there wasn't like shopping and, you know, tons of stuff like that. Michael Wagner, who had just finished, I think he had just finished a Skid Row record and he had like three weeks between starting the next record. And he came down and saw us with Jason Flom, who's like this legendary A&R guy from Atlantic and, you know, if you don't know about him, you should definitely look up his ridiculously successful career. Mm-hmm. And um, they just sat there over dinner and were like, well, Mike Wagner's like, well, I can start on Monday if you want to do it. So like we literally like, etched out literally on a napkin, like our manager at the time was like, okay, we'll do this. Basically everybody cool. And we had flights and we were in LA doing the record. So we really kind of were allowed, whether it be of short, short to notice time-wise, but we were allowed to do what we did, you know, just because we had no time to figure other things out or, or spend a tremendous amount of time in pre-production overthinking stuff. And, and Wagner yeah. was really great about that. Cause he adopted, he obviously he's done so many mega huge records of the time. Mm-hmm. But he was really adamant about like, you know, I don't want to do anything to this. Like, I don't want this to be overthought or I don't want you to change everything up and just do what I saw kind of live and, and make it work like that. So it really kind of happened backwards. And I think luckily for us in, in a kind of bubble of our own, insanity yeah and so you're you were saying that it was done in three uh, three weeks time the album we recorded that record actually in just under two weeks damn wow so because that that does to me as an outsider it sounds like an album that took a long time like just making sure everything sounded right because not only is the are the performances great but just the sound of it is everything's very well done and so it seems like one of those records that you would hear the story of oh it cost the record label so much money and they spent a year in the studio but it, it's not it's a two-week record we, we, That's were amazing. Squeezed, we were squeezed in between like two massive other priority label records that wagner was yeah. doing we had a couple weeks off <coughs> we just got it done awesome <coughs> sorry wow. all right coffee went down the wrong way eddie you want to take <laughs> over with something uh yeah um so there's kind of always been like a question burning on my mind about, you know, Saigon Kick. And and that was like this like retroactive thing. I, I mean, I don't know how retroactive it is, but it seems that in the lineage of like kind of hard rock music, Saigon Kick kind of gets unfairly categorized as like a, a glam band. Like you go on Wikipedia, they've got you as a glam band. I mean, but it's, it's don't don't let the the gorgeousness fool you. I, there's a man of steel underneath this uh, unbelievably yeah. attractive man. Oh, totally. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just wanted to know if like that was a thing at the time of like 
I mean, I always hear people complain, people complain all the time about like, I look at it this, like we were lucky enough to have our moment and, you know, get into the music business, making the music we wanted to make. And if some guy in Wisconsin calls us glam metal on his list, I mean, there's a billion talented bands that don't even get on that list. Yeah, I don't spend right. my time like, you know, go if I was rightly categorized, you know, it's like we did what we did. It was obviously a massive shifting time yeah. uh, and we didn't help ourselves in fairness because we were so excited and we were like 20, 20, yeah, 20 when we, the first record came out. So wow. I was just like, like, and the shift was happening and bands like Alice in Chains saw it coming and, and Pantera saw it coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of made their adjustments prior. We were like, what, we can go on tour with Rat? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, like it, there was no like, well, you shouldn't associate or that's gonna come back to haunt you if you do this or that. And um, we just did what we did. And, you know, I mean, I think like you think you guys mentioned it on the on, on the other uh, tape was just, you know, Extreme is a band that you could say that about. And, uh, you know, King's X, there was a few of us that just got caught between these shifts. The funny part of it is, whatever it's hair. I don't mean hair metal is an insult. I mean, there's great yeah. bands, but I mean, the hair metal scene oh, I agree. hated us with a white hot passion. Mm. And then once we had the ballad success, like we were, we were untouchable by the entire, you know, grunge and new scene. So we were kind of left, you know, we kind of shish kebobbed ourselves yeah. in, in a weird way. So it is it, what it is. On, on that note though, did the, did the record label ever say anything about, a difficulty marketing you or was there even a discussion about that? You know, I mean, I was really, I always had a great relationship with Jason Flom again, going back to him. And, and I remember him coming to the house and listening to demo and he's like, I, I really have no fucking clue what you guys are doing. <laughs> like, um, but just do what you do. You know what I mean? Just, I guess just do it and we'll see what happens. I mean, so it they weren't like trying to get us to do. And I mean, the ballad, it, it I always felt it's really silly to like explain how having a hugely successful song was not part of your plan. Yeah. Um, it, but it, we were in Mexico shooting a video for uh, hostile youth um, with the director who shot Jane's addictions gift, like that whole yeah. documentary thinking we were going to do all these. And it's like, there's like Santa Rhea pre we were like in the middle of the jungles of Mexico doing this insane thing. And we got a phone call, like this radio station in Florida started playing the ballad. And it just exploded, like literally overnight. It was one of those things where I remember getting, you know, calls from like Doug Morris, who was head of the late head of the whole group at the time. He's like, "You guys have a hit, like, so you can either pursue it or try to pretend like it's not happening." But it's like, you know, it was just selling ridiculous amounts of records, and it spread like, like I guess you'd always dream of, except under different circumstances. Maybe not that yeah. song at that time. I like to think we killed all of hair metal. It was like the last song. <laughs> if it weren't for that ballad, grunge really would have never reached its peak because we took yeah. everybody out of the game. All the competition was done. There was no more ballads after that. That's mm. that's true. But you but you guys had to have known when that song was put together that it had potential because it, you can. It's just it's one of those things where from 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 a fan perspective, that being the first thing I ever heard you guys do, and I wasn't even. I was one of those people that I had moved on to heavier music, but I heard that song and could not deny that it was great. And so it's, you know, and I know it's different when you're the songwriter, but I mean, there was no no feeling about that at all. That's awesome to hear that. I mean, I really wander through life having no clue as to what I'm doing. 
And on occasion, people say really nice things. And on occasion, people say terrible things. And, you know, I, I just can't focus on that. That song, I mean, was literally written in 10 minutes. I have a demo of me, like, on a, on a 12 string. And it pretty much came out as it was. Wow. And, it, and it just happened. But there was ballads on the first record, too. They just mm -hmm. weren't played. So it didn't, you know, it didn't kind of... We On the first record, we did shows with Faith No More. And we did shows with, um, you know, The Godfathers. And we toured with the Ramones. Mm -hmm. Um so it, it, we were just caught in this really like crossfire of a bunch of stuff yeah. happening. But in fairness, I mean, we would have been a shitty grunge band. I mean, because that's just <laughs> not, you know, I mean, and not that we didn't have elements of that, but I couldn't have gone on stage and acted like the world sucks, man. And the man's, I couldn't have done that with any real yeah. feeling. So it would have probably failed miserably anyway. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in a good way. I don't, I don't you know, it, it, worked out yeah and i wonder because because last night i i watched the video for love is on the way again and was, i had a thought that i go that ah, doesn't really help it that the video also has more than words vibes to it like it does it does <laughs> it's still you know guy singing with other guy with guitar doing background vocals like oh that's very more than words but really that's what you guys were doing anyway it was you guys had that we same with extreme that whole time um so yeah. we we went to a their first European tour, I guess, uh, we started at like, a, was it the Marquee, the old Marquee Club, mm -hmm. right when like that tour started. So it was like a 400 seat venue and more than words blew up during that tour. So by the time we came back after like four weeks of Europe, they were already selling out the Astoria. So yeah. we saw that whole launch and I just didn't want to be derivative. So I said, look, in our video, the drummer's going to hit the cymbal one time. It'll be, <laughs> be a completely different thing than having you guys sit on the couch with lighters. And oh uh, well, yeah, and, and there's and there's kind of that audience that's sitting out there too. So in the including so that, it, it, a, a little trivia, Paula Abdul's mom. Oh wow, wow! And even more <laughs> twisted, the guy who shot the video uh, is a legendary cinematographer. His name is Daniel Pearl. But he shot and filmed the entire Chainsaw Massacre, the first original movie, the Texas Chainsaw oh, Massacre. Yeah. Which makes total sense when you see the video. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's not, to, not to jump over to something else, but just and, – and, and, Eddie, if I'm, if I'm jumping, you just stop me and say, I got something to ask, dude. Shut up. Um, no, but, no, that's cool. Because we were just talking about, you know, you made the reference to you just kind of wandering around aimlessly and whatever comes out of you comes out of you. And that's the music that 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 happened. And we, you know, in, in the episode we did, I fully stopped the episode just so we could talk about one particular song. And that was the song On and On from yeah. Water. And that it still it baffles me. Because that is a song that um, you may have heard it on the episode. I feel like if you were the kind of songwriter that you were just okay with writing a song and giving it to other artists to do, I feel like that could have been somebody's massive hit. And you, you know, put it on this album that's a very eclectic album. And so when some when you do something like that, obviously we've already had to discuss that you don't really hear things that like they have this huge potential, but when you're writing all these different styles of songs, has it ever occurred to you about writing for somebody else or have you written for somebody else? I, I would. I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, I've just, you know, I kind of built my own sandbox with my own toys. 
and, yeah. I, and, I, and uh, people are welcome. And, and it was really great not to jump ahead to the solo record I just did last year um, mm-hmm. and the stuff. But it was amazing to have all these different people from all these different backgrounds, whether it's like, you know, Clay Cook from the Zach Brown Band and Clint from uh, Seven Dust and Devin Townsend and Butch Walk, all these people from all these different walks of, you know, musical life. Yeah. All come into that box and kind of mess around with my toys, so to speak. It was really, really fun. I would definitely collaborate. Uh, it's not that I don't. Um, it's just hasn't really been something I focus. I just keep doing what I do. And yeah, I just I keep doing it. I just always hear that song. And I think because, you know, there there are songs that eventually become somebody's really popular song and then nobody knows that it was once on somebody else's album. Like there a good example mm. is there's that natalie imbruglia song torn that was a gigantic hit but that was somebody else's song on another album years before so i'm like well why can't why can't on and on just why can't we give it to like some pop group now and they do their own version of it you have my permission uh, (laughs) if you turn this into like i will always love you for dolly parton into whitney houston or if you want to uh or that any of those yeah feel free to kate bush me if you'd like to (laughs) Honestly, the, on the episode, I say, oh, we should get on TikTok and start you know, using that song only to find that that song is not on TikTok. So <laughs> but if it but if it's Shot ever on, there, on the foot again, but if it's ever on there, because that's how that's how shit's blowing up is that kids just all start using the same song. And then all of a sudden it has this huge spike in popularity. And I'm like, that, I think that's one that that could happen to. But, you know, uh, totally. I got to call Atlantic up and see what they're doing with the catalog licensing of not if it not being on TikTok. (laughs) Speaking of of that, the um, when when they do these reissues of stuff like I got, you know, record store day reissues on vinyl, you know, of the first album. And I I haven't been been able to find the lizard because it was out of stock when I went to go get it. But do you have any do they come to you and say these are happening or do you just find out and go, they're they're releasing this on vinyl? Great. Um. There's two things about that, and I know I'm in the minority. Um, they, they have spoken to me, um, and it's really flattering. I always feel like, for the most part, they are cash grab fan ripoffs. Uh-huh. Um, just for the most part. It's like, you know, and, and I get it. And it you know, but do people do like collecting vinyl, and th- there wasn't a lot of it around at the time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if, if it means something to the fans, I'm all for it. But I just hate the whole remaster reissue one you know you know release that was only ever out in guam that's like a four track that the guy did in his bedroom and now they charge fifty dollars for the vine to me it's like you know most of it is these new departments at record companies trying to you know go through the skeletons and find valuable bones that might have been left over so there's a team of people that just go through and find these ways of doing stuff i mean they've approached me about it i mean it just you know chris uh bass player inside kick has had more dialogue um, and it's not even that I'm against it as much. It just doesn't hold really much interest to me. I mean, when I'm old, uh, I might sit back and uh, want to, you know, rehash all the past stuff. And I, and I don't mean it to like not to discount how much a lot of that stuff means to some people. Yeah, it's just I'm just kind of I'm just personally worried about what's next. I mean, you guys are songwriters, so if you're like me, the best possible time in the music is when you hit the space bar because we're all recording digitally and you finish that song and yeah, no one's yeah. heard it, but you, so you haven't gotten that good feedback or bad feedback, but you are just enamored with what you finished. That's yeah. like the best part of making music to me. Everything else yeah. after that just screws it up. We've said it several <laughs> times on the show as well. It's come up as like a topic of like bands re-recording 
a whole album that they'd done in the past. And I kind of feel like once it's once it's kind of out there, that's how it you know is. So when I see a band put out a completely re-recorded, let alone remixed album, I'm kind of like it was probably done out of some sort of contractual obligation or something because I know some some bands have done that. What yeah. actually happens is um, after a certain amount of time, like all these old record company record contracts had re-record restrictions. So like you couldn't, I couldn't record like the first Saigon kick record and then re-record it in five years and release it again. So they kind of stopped right. doing that music. But after like, I think depending on your deal, seven years, 12 years, um, you can re-record those songs again as the songwriters. So a lot of them are like, for the first time, a lot of those bands can get actual revenue from those records by re-recording them yeah. um, and right. make money because they're in debt to the record companies and they're never going to see any royalties and stuff like that. So a lot of it's driven mm. driven by that. But I'm with you. Even if you make like this first Saigon kick record, for me, like there's things I hear about it and, you know, just as anything anybody releases that you're just like, oh, should, this could have been like that. But if I were to re-record that whole record today... Um, and think I crushed it and the sounds are better and the guitar tones are better and the vocal things we did to fix it. It's like everybody would hate it because records are of a time when they mean mm. something to you and the way they sound is, yep. yeah. that's, it's all part of that, how it hits you at the time. So better is not always better when it comes to like that, or especially musical memories. You want to hear things the way it hit you when you were 12, when you were 18, when you were 25, when that girl threw you out of the house, you know, whatever, like that's what those sonic things mean. And that's as yeah. important as anything to do with the quality. It's the same. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing, you know, where in the, I guess it was the eighties and early nineties where you would see colorized versions of black and white movies. And eventually that became a thing. We're like, no, why are we doing that? And I was like, well, yeah, well, why are we doing that with music? Cause honestly, I am guilty of being one of those people that I just want all the albums I love on vinyl, no matter what. But if I if I could choose, I'd be like, no, no, don't touch it. Take the original tapes, mm. put it on vinyl. Don't remaster it. Don't fix anything. If there's a mistake, I love that mistake. Please leave it there. Um, and yeah. so that's that's the kind of thing that I, I would love. But I also understand there's a really high profile version of somebody, you know, trying you know, re-recording their stuff in order to gain some control. And that's fucking Taylor Swift. She's just re-recording her own shit because she doesn't have control of the old shit. And I, I absolutely get it. But if if I was a Taylor Swift fan, I'd probably still be like, ah, I kind of like the way the old one sounds. You know, I mean, that's the thing as musicians. It's an unfortunate world we live in, but nobody gives a shit <laughs> like the way we do. Yeah. So it's like yeah. a fan just going to hear what that's the same song I heard before. And it's not it, 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 it's just like there's no people aren't having these intricate conversations of the legality and the motivations and the whether Taylor's right or the record company's right or who screwed who they just eh, that sucks yeah. or that's great or, you know, whatever it is. And I think sometimes we can get in the way of overthinking that stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I think the thing that's even more aggravating for me is music from the time of Saigon kick and around that time already it still sounds good today anyway the for the most part to the to the point where you know I I there was a, a morning where I was driving to school with my daughter who's 11 years old and I was playing her old Beatles songs and she's like these things that sounds really old and I was like well yeah I mean the recording the whole process of recording was way different and so this 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 is from the 60s this sounds old and then I and I was I was like hold on 
how old do you think Smells Like Teen Spirit is? And she's like, I don't know, 10 years. And it's like, but that's how good that shit sounds. And so right, it, yeah. it, it's even more frustrating to be like, well, if it already sounds that good, why are we fucking with it? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, just, but I mean, to your point, though, I mean, this is just my opinion. If you re-recorded those old Beatle records and made them sound, they would suck. You know, I mean, the part of the magic is the way they are and the, yeah. that they are of that time and that, you know, or those early Queen records, you know, that had to bounce a billion things off of eight tracks and make these different things happen. I mean, that's kind of the signature of that. And, but we have hit this technological arc where everything sounds good to a certain degree. I mean, yeah. you very rare. I mean, I'm not I don't I, this is not a challenge by any means, but I mean, you don't hear a tremendous amount of sonically horrible shit like you used to. Because it was such an art form before. I mean, it, I mean, if you're talking about the world of metal, I hear some sonically horrible shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, every, I should say everybody now has the ability to record well. Yeah, and, and so and so the stuff that you're doing now, I, I, just to touch on it for a second, because we'll I'll go more into it in a little bit. But the stuff you're doing now, are you recording it on your own, like on your own equipment and everything? Uh-huh. Because the the stuff that you're doing. I'm assuming that you've just gotten really good at it over the years, but it doesn't sound like somebody sitting in their room recording it. It sounds very, it's, there's an organic quality to it that sounds great. So well, thanks. kudos for that. First, I mean, I've had a ton of gear over the years. I mean, I had a studio for a long time after Saigon Kick, and I had the ability to work with some amazing producers and, and, uh, and uh, produce a bunch of really cool bands. I mean, bands like that I got to work with on our label was like Skin Dread. Um, Sick, Nonpoint, Ankla, Fiction Plane, uh, the Death Stars. Um, you know, so I, I had this whole 10 or 15 year period where I was involved in the production side and studio side and um, all that kind of stuff. So only got kind of hopefully got slightly better and, you know, learning at what I wanted to do and how I wanted to get things to sound a, a little bit better. But it's still, you know, I think it's like I'm sure you guys feel the same way. You, you know, you listen to something that you've done and you're like, oh, that's good. and then you put on someone else's record. And you're like, oh, I suck. So I mean, yeah, just sound. <laughs> why can't it sound like a sugar record? Or why can't it I sound my, like I am my own worst enemy, especially now. Like I'm literally sitting on uh, um, 11 songs that I have re- written and recorded completely, except for I, I am having writer's block with lyrics. And every time I try to do it, I just go. This is not good enough. And so literally these completed songs have been sitting on my hard drive for now almost a year. <laughs> and uh, and I just can't get past this block. And it's only because of that very thing where I'll write something and I'll hear something else and go, fuck, I, I, I'm not I just can't do it. I don't, I'm not what good. I, at it. What I did that I found was super helpful at, right after the kind of label thing finished. So over the last maybe five years ago, I started it. Um, cause I was just tired of sitting in a room and spending three years on a snare reverb, yeah. you know, like that was yeah. like, no one ever heard anyway. Everyone's going to listen on, you know, a little, and he's like worth it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the one guy that hears it. It's great. <laughs> but I found myself also because of having all the tools available to us, you know, all the time, you know, I have an idea. And then I'd go off on a tangent down some like synth thing that I, you know, or ambient delay taps. And I forgot the song before yeah. I, you know, but by the time I figured out the delay setting I wanted, the song was gone. So I said about five years ago, I said, I'm just going to do this writing experiment where I'm going to write, record, release, mix, and put it out on Bandcamp in 24 hours. Like 
from beginning to end, like purely because I wanted to not get stuck and I yeah. wanted to keep sharpening myself as a writer. And the only way to really do that is to move on. You're going to have stuff that's not as good as other stuff. And that's just the nature of, and a lot of times the stuff that you didn't think was the good stuff winds up being the better stuff, you know, over, when yeah. you look back, but long-term long story short is I released about 150, 180 songs on this Bandcamp thing um, with no commercial aspirations other than just to, get better and, and, you know, just maybe sharpen the tools at writing and get to the point quicker and not get lost in all those production elements. So even if you don't release it, that could be a cool experiment just as like, what can I do in 24 hours? What can I do in 48 hours? You know, yeah. and I want to come back to it. Funny enough, the, the song that you hear at the beginning of our episodes, that is a song that I wrote and recorded in one day and put out. Um, and it's, it's all right. But one, one section of it was good enough to where Eddie was like, that's great. And I was like, all right, well, we'll use it as our, as the intro to our show. I think <laughs> it's a great song start to finish, but that breakdown, it, I, it just struck me like that's the theme song. Like, <laughs> yeah. We're the worst judge of our own stuff. And that's why I figured, you know, I, I just, I mean, I generally kind of know what I do like, and I feel comfortable, you know, doing what I do, but like, I yeah. never know, like, like in terms of, what song is going to work or this song is going to be big, you know, or that song is going to connect with people and or everyone's going to hate this song for sure. Or, you know, it just, I just focus on trying to be as creative as possible and, 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 and move on and stay focused on that's, I mean, that's, I don't, I don't mean to discount the Saigon kick stuff. Yeah. Um, and I love hearing about it. It's great. But from my perspective, like people are always asking me, what's your favorite song from the water? What's your and I'm like, I haven't listened to them in years. Like I don't, hmm. Not because they're not good or, oh, I've moved on. It's just I'm always trying to move forward. You know, yeah. I'm always trying to think of something next. I mean, and I don't personally feel, I mean, I, I love the fact that people love Saigon Kick. That's awesome. But, and I'm sure you feel the same way about your stuff. But I don't feel like I've, I'm as good as I can be yet. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when you're an athlete, I mean, you have a window of opportunity where, all right, you're 25, you're 30, 35, you're pushing it. But you're pushing up against a time where you're not going to be better than you were. Yeah. Um, as a musician, that's the great thing is like, you, you can just keep getting better and better. Doesn't mean sell more records. I may or may never be in that, you know, world again of, you know, gold and platinum records. I mean, no, who is, but you know, better for where you're like, wow, that is exactly what I meant to do and how I meant it to come across and what I had in my head really is on that tape. You know, for me, like, so like I talked about when you hit the space bar, I'm like, that's what I meant. That's what I envisioned. And yeah. that, that to me is like, you can always get better at that. Yeah. It, it, do you have anything, Eddie? Because if not, I have a segue from this, but you can, if you, you can jump in. Uh, well, the, you know, this, this kind of could tie in. Do you have any songs that you particularly love or hate playing live in the in the past that stick out to you or in the present that stick out to you from maybe like maybe not even that you don't like playing it it's just a bitch to play live or something i don't know well what's funny is like i haven't done really any shows for this baron von bielski orchestra except mm -hmm. i did one show uh at Prague power festival for some reason that record got a whole new audience oh. for me which is fantastic like i'm like all of a sudden like Prague Mag UK and all these people were really, really kind, which was nice, but it brought in a whole bunch of like people that had no idea about my past. And when we went to go do this show, because it was just was one festival show, I was like, 
holy shit, I, I had never sang and played these songs, like, ever. So when I was trying to, like, play them, like, I can't do the show now. Like, I don't know how, I can't, this riff is, like, completely independent of the vocals. So it was, it took a little bit to, like, figure out how to play and sing some of those tunes. Um, but I generally don't, you know, I think the only thing that makes it or breaks it is if, you know, if you're playing in front of a like, crowd that's just dead, for whatever mm -hmm. the reason may be, I, I still always ultimately say it's my fault. But if you're not feeling any connection with people and it's just, you could be playing Stairway to Heaven and it's going to suck or Master of the Puppets. It's just going to be like, oh. you know, if, if people are into it, and you can see people are excited. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty happy playing anything. Yeah, Usually. that's cool. That's and that's a good that's a good segue. We'll, we'll we'll touch back on Saigon Kick, but let's get current because I have questions about what you're doing now. Yeah, because um, sure. the, the 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 current thing is the is the it's interesting because it's you know the bear sedatives EP, but this thing has grown in a really interesting way, and I don't know if this was intentional where it was like Human Head. Here's a single called Human Head. Oh, now here's a new single that has one more song plus Human Head. And it's grown and grown and grown until now it's an EP, which is bare sedatives of five songs. And so the two questions are, number one, was that did you intend to have that sort of building process? And the second part of that question is, is this building to a full length? Yes, there'll be a full record in early early next year um, that'll come out. That'll have a you probably... I tend to put a lot of songs on records, but probably like 15, 16 songs. Okay. Um, and this was something like, I hate the idea. I mean, I kind of love in both worlds. I mean, I like a record, but even if you look at behind the curtain of the records, no one listens to the record anymore. Like you watch the arc of like song one, song two, song yeah. three, <laughs> song four. So it bothers me that sometimes, especially the way I make music, like it doesn't mean that I put it 10th, that it's the 10th, you know, the 10th worst song on the record. It, yeah. it, it, there's a reason why it's there, but people don't have the attention span. So this was kind of a way of like releasing a song. Everybody's got time to digest that one song. If you're a fan, I mean, if I have even things I'm a fan of, it's sometimes hard to sit down and listen to 10, 12 songs at a yeah. time. But like if Jane's Addiction did a record with the Beatles and they were releasing a song, even the Foo Fighters did it. Uh, you know, they would release a couple and people have a lot more just the nature of how people live and digest anything. It's easier, I think, song by song. And and it's kind of interesting for me because I get more feedback about that thing yeah. before I release the next one. Not that I change course, but I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like people really did or did not relate to that. And I thought oh. they were, you know, and so it's, you get more kind of real time feedback and I don't, I, I don't think we can afford as musicians to just disappear for two or three years anymore. At least, you know, I mean, if you're the Foo Fighters, you can. But yeah. I mean, when you're, you know, an artist that's kind of got a niche and you're developing and, you know, you want to kind of be in people's consciousness of having, you know, stuff happening at least every couple months or, or you disappear. Mm. And, and that so, was and because the stuff that's on there is, is great. The, the, the songs for the apocalypse is also really great, but the, the, when that, for that particular, for this project or whatever, for the calling it the Baron von Bielski or orchestra, uh, is there a reason why you kind of went with that instead of just being Jason Beeler or whatever? Well, one, I love hearing everybody pronounce it wrong. That's my favorite part of the, you know, every interview I did all, you got it right. You did it right. I'm saying, but generally it was always like, you know, Baron von Bueller's orchestra, Baron von. <laughs> so that personally cracks me up. Um, and uh, and then, I, I mean, I think it was just, it, it kind of gave me license to do anything and work with yeah. anybody. 
and go off in any direction I wanted to as aware if, if it's just me, then it's kind of just me and people have expectations of it. Not, not that anybody has expectations. I mean, I guess it could have worked that way too, but I just love this kind of, it's funny. I heard you guys talking about Matt Berry. Uh, yeah. Personal hero and toast of London has got to be the greatest show like of all time in my, I don't know if you guys have seen it. But, yeah, I have. And he's an insanely talented musician as well. <laughs> but I love that whole like insanity of like, you know, if you look on the, in nobody does, but half that record, my favorite part is it's all made up musicians that don't exist with these insane names. And I was yeah. doing interviews with people and they asked, because anytime I program something or if I played bass on something, I just made up a name of a, some insane like Finnish, you know, uh, shepherd who yeah. was a hemp farmer and I met him in like Norway, whatever it is. And there's all these insane, like kind of twists and turns of that. I think under that name, you can, there's just, there's a Monty Python-esque-ness yeah. to, to, to just no rules. And I don't care. I mean, yeah. that, anything it, that seems like a good giggle is fantastic. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it, it works too, because if you're looking at it under the, under that name and then you see, cause, cause currently what we have that five song bear sedatives EP it's five very unique songs, but for some reason under that kind of umbrella, you're like, I mean, it makes sense. You know, the fact that, and, and, uh, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very cool to hear. Cause, uh, cause we'll, eventually we'll get to, um, we will have to talk about the, the, uh, the, the, the stepchild of, of your, of the Saigon kick albums where I was a little bit nasty <laughs> to the album. No, man, but look but, at hindsight. I thought that was spot on. I mean, it, it the, really was a spot on critique of it. I mean, it wasn't, it was, that we, you know, part of it was that we had a record obligation still to this Japanese label who had signed us. Uh-huh. And right. I, I had already moved on and was trying to do something new. Um, and it got so convoluted. You'd need like another three hour podcast, but I wound up doing a record <laughs> with, uh, with Jack Joseph Pui, who did the Jellyfish records, you know, like oh, producer. Yeah. It's an insanely brilliant guy. And then it got hung up and we dropped and then we were making another record. And then it wound up getting on the American Pie soundtrack. But yeah, it definitely tried to put that stuff. But then I got stuck in the middle of two different shifts. And, you know, I don't believe in just, you know, if you, you sign a deal to a company or, they invest in you in any way. You don't, you just can't like take off and go like, no, now I'm doing bluegrass. You know, they, yeah. they expected a record. And so we, we kind of finished it, but it definitely, I don't think it sounds anything like a side, not purely like a Saigon kick record. And, 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 yeah. uh, you know, I, 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 uh, appreciate that people were limitedly, but you know, marching in the streets with pitchforks and flames and kill Beeler kind of the parades. Uh, <laughs> I, I may have taken part in a few of them. <laughs> Uh, so, but the the comparison there was was essentially that um, in the grand scheme of us ranking Saigon Kick, which is largely songs that you that you wrote, and then we get to Bastards, it, it gets to an area where I'm like, well, it, as a fan, I'm like, this is this is not what I want, and it seems like somebody else is doing this. But the the comparison I was going to make is that what you've been doing over the past few years here, I it's like the the things that i love about your songwriting the unexpectedness of it but even then and i think i said this on the podcast too there's an unexpected quality but there's also a familiar quality so it's mm -hmm. got this weird thing where it's almost like you're you're being eased into an, a, a situation where you may not know where it's going but you feel like you're in good hands and so i that, that's why i like what you're doing now because it reminds me of how it feels listening to those first I'm few back songs. To that pure, in fairness, you know, those, those records you're talking about, Bastard's record and the Super Transatlantic record. With, uh, yeah. After that, 
I mean, that was a really strange, untethered time for me. Like, you know, you, you spent time doing something that you were proud of and you created both the first two records and the, you know, the water record. And you feel like you're, there's no home for it. You know, the, what, you know, you're still relatively young. You know, it's a weird thing to be 27 and feel like, I guess it's all over, you know, like I got a <laughs> Walmart reader, you know? So you definitely can be under the pressure of like, it's a, I wasn't uh, mentally strong enough not to, rethink like am i doing something wrong here maybe i should be like these other bands and try to write more contained pop rock yeah stuff um because walking into a record company in 1999 going hey i'm the guy from saigon kick did not help <laughs> you know yeah. that wasn't like a shit let's take a meeting with that guy you know so you you try to distance yourself um and i mean i think there's some good songs on those records um you know, for sure. I, I mean, I don't apologize for one, but I definitely can look back now with some time and go like, that was a little more untethered, a little more untrue to who I am, maybe a little more, you know, uh, let me write rock songs that connect with people kind of thing. Yeah. And now I'm back to, I don't give a shit, you know, yeah. I, not, I love hearing that people like them, but I it never crosses my mind anymore because that, you know, of all the things that didn't work, that didn't work the most you know, in terms of like connecting with people. Cause the strange thing is, I think, you know, it's this magical thing of intent that even non-musicians can tell. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a, there's a stench of fear when you're, when you're trying to uh, make something happen. Yeah. And people just naturally don't resonate with that regardless of how good it sounds or how well crafted it is. It still has this carcass this, you know, this, this on the side of the road, uh, festering carcass, you know, smell to it that people pick up on. So, yeah. I mean, I thought your point was super fair. And, but I do, but I do think that that was a thing, especially in the late nineties and early two thousands, where I almost feel like people that had been doing it at that point for 10 years or even longer, it, it felt like some of them were just like, well, it gets to be not fun overthinking things so much. So we're going to, it's fun to maybe right now do music that just sort of comes out and, and is just sort of, we're not trying to, to be super creative. We're just trying to have a good time. And I, and I absolutely understand that because I've been through phases where I wrote things and was in bands. I was, I've been, if I've been in bands that like in hindsight, I'm all like, I should not have been in that band. Cause I did not want to do that music. But but it was just one of those things that just ends up happening in your life or whatever. Well, but, unfortunately, the, well, fortunately for you, that band wasn't big enough. No, where everybody knows <laughs> what you did. Nobody you know. knows. Literally, nobody outside of Austin, Texas, ever heard of the shit but, that I did. <laughs> but I think we can all, and I'm sure you've done the same thing, Eddie, in your career. I mean, it's like I'm sure you can look back and go, "But I'm better for having done it." Like, Yo, you know, yeah. it, it, if nothing else, it's made yeah. me more confident in going this way because I know what happened when I did that. Um, you know, you got, you know, I, just, I had the, the uh, and it's good fortune, but I had the good fortune of having some people paying attention to Saigon Kick and then paying attention to what I did next going, what the fuck is this guy doing? You know, mm. I didn't get to make that mistake or experiment, uh, you know, under the radar. I kind of, you know, it was like flailing about. And there were so many things that happened, you know, between Matt leaving uh, after the lizard record and then doing the water record and having all the, you know, we did that in isolation in Stockholm. So we were around nobody. So this just seemed like 
hey, we'll just make a record. You know, there was no like record company guys coming in like, what'd you do? You kicked out the blonde front man you know, of our mega opera. We kind of did all this stuff in isolation. So, but then that transitioning and, you know, and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the thing that seems to always work for me in terms of just being happy is just whatever I feel like doing. And some of it might connect and some of it might not, but. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's, inter- it's interesting too, talking about these kind of things because you're, you're a little older than me. I'm older than Eddie and Eddie, right. has just started a new actual band. And from what I'm gathering from the stuff that you're playing me, you guys are also going down a route where you're not really tied to one particular kind of thing that you're trying to do. And so it's, it's, inter- it's almost like I'm interviewing Eddie now. It's like hearing all these things, <laughs> hearing guys like us talk about music where you have, you know, Jason who experienced some, some success and me who experienced none. And uh, do, do you, in, in 2022, how does it feel being in a new band? Um, I mean, I feel like I have, you know, the insight of, you know, I, I, I'm on a, podcast obviously where we listen through the discographies of bands and things and whatnot but like if there's one thing it's given me it's just a bunch of insight and knowledge and things to apply to this sort of stuff and i think it's good to especially nowadays not be pigeonholed to any one thing because you know it's reached a point now where music is you know algorithmically recommended to people via streaming and things like that so we just we just kind of wanted to be our own thing and we just do obviously it's like hard rock heavy metal stuff um but you know if we want to do a grunge song we'll do a grunge song we want to do a a death metal riff we'll stick that in there but nowadays as long as you do it true like you're saying as long as you do it because you want you know as long as there's never like a let's sit down at a table and get a powerpoint display going yeah Yeah. then you're done you know, but I mean, if you feel like doing, I mean, that that's 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 the main, the whole thing. I mean, it really is the whole thing, and because you just can't control, you don't know as much as people think they know, um, what's going to connect or what's going to work or what's going to you know, you know, change your life. We live in an awesome time in the sense that you could record a new song with your band, and at four in the morning, some kid in Korea starts playing it, and yeah. The next thing you know, you wake up the next week and you have a billion plays because of a TikTok thing. And so anything can happen. Yeah. But I think the fundamentals are, you know, are still the same. Just look at the end of the day, a great song was a great song. And that's been true of the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. It's the one true thing is if it's great, it's great. Mm. You know, I've been with a ton of different musicians of all different genres. And when a badass song comes on or a badass musician plays, I don't care what you're into. You, you, everybody sits back and goes, that's the real yeah. deal. Yeah. I, and I that's agree. always been true, you know? So awesome. Do, do you have anything else to ask Eddie? Uh, I've, I've got another question here. Um, and it's kind of like a, a hypothetical scenario. If, if you had to listen to like one 10 year span of music, say for example, me, I would probably go for something like 1984 to 1994. Um, what would you pick? I mean, I know you're a you're a guy who moves forward and doesn't get like too hung up on the past. But I feel like if you had to pick like maybe like ten years of influences, what springs to mind? It's 
it's so hard for me because yeah. uh, it's a great question. Just because there's so many things like I, I'm going to be like, I'm going to say the last 10 years only because of my, nice. not necessarily they were released in the last 10 years, but things that I've discovered in the last 10 years has kind of been the most interesting um, because of Spotify and because of these wormholes that are at our, you know, that were as a kid, I mean, it was like, you know, one guy in your neighborhood would mention this band Kiss and you'd be like, what? And yeah. then it would take like a month before like one kid's older brother had a record. And yeah. then you all sit around and you go, it took like two and a half years to become a fan and know <laughs> who each guy was by the time you got a magazine with them in it. And now it's so instantaneous. Like I can go and, you know, my son's a musician uh, and plays drums and, you know, he can go and watch Neil Peart do something and rush and then hear Neil Peart talk about Buddy Rich and then hear, you know, Buddy Rich talk about, you know, Gene Cruz. And like in 15 minutes, he's done what would have taken me 10 years of, you know, musical discovery. But there's so many cool things happening in terms of like underground jazz stuff, uh, underground metal stuff. Um that I think are pushing the envelope again. I'm a little bored of music that kind of, uh, I know what's going to happen. I mean, there's something reassuring about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. mind it. I love Taylor Swift. Great pop songs, great pop song when yeah. it's done well. But um, I find myself becoming more addicted to, like, I never saw that coming. I, I didn't think this was going to happen. Or, you know, the song's nine minutes long. And, or, you know, that's the stuff I kind of go like, you know, I like to be pushed and think, and it makes me rethink stuff. So, over the last 10 years, whether it be bands like, you know, Jaga Jazzist or, um, you know, Meshuggah or Gojira or, you know, uh, there's so many cool things happening that I, I, I you know, obviously the 70s, how do you not talk about Zeppelin and the Beatles and Queen and the 80s? I mean, the whole new wave thing, how do you not talk about the, you know, U2 and, you know, and the 90s or somebody, you know, it's, it's really hard for me. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good answer, though, because, you know... It, for me, I have a few like personal hangups that again, it will probably take a whole other like three hour therapy session podcast <laughs> for me to debunk that. But for for me, I've always found that there's just this like sweet spot with like songwriting, production, and just all round vibe of that like eighty four to ninety four like decade. But I definitely am coming around to a lot more uh modern music nowadays especially and i think you know that just comes with a maturity and, and b getting deeper into whatever it, it's find. upon you as a musician i think and that i just had this conversation because i do a, a two-man show with me and uh jeff scott soto i don't know if you know jeff but jeff yeah he, yeah he sang for Ingve back it's brilliant like one of the great metal singers of all time mm -hmm. and we totally. literally go around and do these these shows uh, and so we're in the car and, you know, uh, we, he was playing me these AM gold playlists, like of these, you know, the, and the songwriting craft was unbelievable. Like, and how much more intense their chord structures were, like yeah. how their, their sense of like, you, so you can listen to that and go, you know, there's some, there's gotta be a thousand bands that I couldn't tell you the name of, but songs I knew for sure from being a kid, you know, hearing them. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, I think it's upon us like to, you know, it's like funny because I, I didn't know the Zach Brown band. I knew Clay via social media, the guitar player in the band. Mm -hmm. Wow. I really had no idea how big they were. 
Um, and my son was all excited, like, oh, he's going to invite you to the show. We're going to go see him. I was like, cool. You know, I figured we're going to go see him at a pub. I don't know. The, you know, they're playing like a stadium practically sold out. And, you know, when I went there, not knowing any of it, there's a reason they're that they're, they're that big. And there's a reason why these songs are successful. It's up to you as a musician to either go, ah, screw it. You know, that's this or that. But mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, if it's not just purely a, a novelty thing, um, it, there's a reason why songs work or certain artists are big, you know, I mean, whether yeah. it's mate and Metallica, it's, it's usually not by accident. Um, I, I do, I do have kind of a devil's advocate other view on some of it with modern music, because I, from my point of view, there's, there are those artists out there that the song is great or they're very talented and it's undeniable, but I feel like some of it, it, it almost seems like some artists get to a point where they're popular enough to where they become celebrities. And then people are jumping on top of that because they love celebrities. And so you see these people, they're like a really good example is like Harry Styles. He's a guy that's doing stuff out there now and he's very talented and there's a, he becomes very popular, but I almost feel like, He's great, but he's only like this level great, but he's grown even further because now people are like, well, now he's a celebrity. I want to go to the concert to watch a celebrity on stage. And so there's that part of me that goes, are the songs really that good? Should he be selling out multiple nights in the same arena? It's an interesting like push and pull in my brain with that kind of stuff. I, if there's a couple, I mean, look, I think Watermelon Sugar High is a great jam. Yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not I wouldn't say it inspired me to become a musician, but I can listen to that song. That's a well-crafted pop tune. Yeah. In the pop world, when you couple that with a compelling personality, good-looking guy, girl, whatever, interesting fashion sense, in a world where TikTok and Instagram and all that, I mean, it's just an accelerant beyond accelerant. Yeah. Would it have happened to that degree if he was a 300-pound guy living in his mom's basement? Probably not. <laughs> maybe, maybe not that. To, but I like to think that we would maybe hear that song and go, "Oh man, that's a that's a good song." Yeah, you know, still. But yeah, yeah, yeah. When you can put it all together, it, you I know, think it works. With my with modern music, I'm like you, or I'm constantly. It's it. I get frustrated because I'm I'm always looking for stuff that surprises me, um, but I'm also. You know, I'll I'll admit that I'm also pretty limited in what is actually pleasing to me um, because there's there's you know, I like heavy music. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't find my way down in the bluegrass or jazz or other things like that, because there's something that just doesn't connect to me, even if I hear it and I go, well, that that's pure talent right there. It doesn't draw me into the music. So that's my own problems that with that. But. I was trying to get to something because you're talking about like newer artists that are kind of surprising to you. And I don't, I don't know if you've heard this, but I figured you may have because their album was produced by Devin Townsend, but there's a band called four stroke Baron. And I heard them. So four stroke Baron are like a progressive metal band but they're really kind of odd in the in the way they present it. And the vocalist, the for the for lack of a better comparison, he reminds me of Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. So if you take that kind of vocal on top of this really sprawling, progressive, heavy music, but also very emo- emotional. And it's so and 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 Devin Townsend puts 
put his stamp on it where there's all kinds of really interesting production things here and there. And um, that's what that's the one thing in the past. Like it's got to be in the past 10 years that has come out. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell this is. I saw the album cover and I go, this could go either way. And it just totally floored me. I'm like, I was not expecting this and it's amazing. And so that's what I'm constantly looking for. But unfortunately, that kind of shit seems. Yeah, I mean, you got to and farther between. You got to stay open and. I think, you know, and, and, and just because, I mean, that's the negative thing about aid. It's yeah. very tempting to get comfortable. This is my chair. Hmm. This is the way I hear things. This is the song I want to hear. It's very yeah. easy. to, If anything, that muscle of like being open to things you're not familiar with. That's where I think pop music works because it's people. The average person does not want to be surprised. On their way to work in the morning to go work at their job as a secretary. Mm. She doesn't want to hear Miles Davis or atonal music or a 45 minute, you know, Mushuga breakdown. That's mm. not what they want to hear. So um, and, and you can't you know, we live in a society where, I mean, the vast majority of people's input. That's why these superhero movies, they're well shot. But mass amount of dumb people want to see the <laughs> same shit. They don't yeah. want to be surprised at all. Like that, yeah. that's, if you do anything interesting in a movie, there'll be a mutiny. Like, well, wait a minute. He didn't get the girl. Like, you can't, you know, it, 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 so understanding that, I mean, and I don't begrudge them that people have a right. Life is hard enough that yeah. if you get happy listening to, you know, a great Billie Eilish pop tune, that's just as valuable as, Miles Davis. I mean, it's serving. That's what it serves. It it as long as it means something. Who's listening to it and and makes them get through this horrid world we live in. With you know, every time you turn on the news, something else horrible is going on. And you know, so if a song can make you not think about that, that's a that's about as magic a moment that, as we can create as an artist. That is a really great yeah. Because because a lot of it these days with me has to do with escape, and that's why a lot of it has. A lot of, you know, on, on my channel, on the old head channel, so much of my stuff is nostalgia. And it's only because that gives me this escape from <laughs> what so much shit that's going on in the modern world. And so it's it's uh, it's that's a good that's a really good way to put it. Hmm. <laughs> so no, we, I, was just, I was just chiming in there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so. I guess um, we, we can probably wrap it up here pretty soon. Do you have another question, Eddie? Uh, no, nah, I was just I just happy to see where the conversation goes. Yeah, no, no, th this has been great. The the one thing that I was going to ask you that I feel like you probably won't I, I probably won't get what I want out of you because you made the reference <laughs> earlier to that you have not really you have not listened to this uh, Saigon Kick albums for many many years. But I was going to ask just from your memory and what went into making them and the feeling that you have now, even this separated from them, since this is cranked and ranked, how would you rank the Saigon Kick albums? Well, I thought you did a great job. Okay. So I can't argue with your list. Mm -hmm. um, for me personally, um, there was a weird... Uh, well, the, the, the Lizard record was a record where the label, because of the time we had to do it in, and, you know, again, going back to Jason Flom, sat down with me and I was like, he was like, why don't you produce the record? So part of me was going, 
I don't know how to produce a record. The other part of me is going, if I don't say yes, I'm never going to produce a record because mm-hmm. I just have to figure this out. Hmm. So there was a joy of that kind of like, and it was prior to Google. So you couldn't even Google like, you know, how to produce a record, you know, like there's yeah. no YouTube videos. Can I see an interview with somebody who knows what the, you know, so, you know, but getting to having work with Michael Wagner was a huge learning process and then taking that and going to making that record. Um, there's a lot of fun about that. Um, the water record was such a, um, creative, like moment in terms of just the joy of making the record. There was just no rules and there was just not that there was ever rules, but it was literally like we were in Stockholm by ourselves again. And, uh, so it was really just us in the studio with the engineer with no one around. We didn't have friends for the most part hanging out. So it was just in the studio, locked out, everything mic'd up all the time um, and just going nuts. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think everybody's got their, you know, it's always great to hear that that record resonates with people. Mm-hmm. There's just these camps of like, you know, the first record's the best record. The second record's the best record. And I'm just glad that anybody likes any of the records, you know, and that yeah. to be a part of any of it is awesome. Um, it's hard. I mean, but I guess from the creative freedom of uh, yeah, the water record was a lot of fun to make just on a, on a, on a not that it's a better record. It was a lot of the process was yeah. really, really creative and fun. It sounds it for sure. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that. I mean, that's I, I, I would I would agree. Like there are things about that record that it just sounds like there was such a freedom that it had to have been really a really pleasing experience. So yeah. Mm. Um, I guess, I guess from the, from the out, from an outside perspective, whenever you hear like a member of a band leaves, you always, you always in your brain go, Oh, they must've all been really unhappy then, <laughs> you know, or something <laughs> like that. We uh, broke records in interband hatred. <laughs> I mean, there, there, it was not musical differences um, on any level. I, I think that, you know, not pigeonholing anybody. I think the lizard had a, a footprint of success for us. And, you know, people felt that we should become more of a skid row rock, like just get those riffs going and yeah. do that thing. And I felt completely the opposite way. Yeah. And didn't want to make, a, I mean, I like the fact that there's, you know, the lizard and hostile youth and those songs, but I would literally kill myself if I was, had to make a record of 10 of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just for yeah. me. And, and, you know, in fairness, we would have been a way bigger band at that time. Had we just done 10 versions of that type of thing. But on the same token, we would probably not be here talking about it in the same respect that we are now. So mm-hmm. <laughs> right, that's the know. cool thing about, you know, talking to different people is just, you know, those records are starting to resonate more now with people than I think they did at the time. People I care about musicians and, you know, uh, you know, people yeah. that I respect their opinions, like all of a sudden you're, you're starting to see those records kind of, whether it's because of the reissues or whatever, people are like coming around and I'm starting to hear really nice things about all the records, which is just, you know, super cool. Yeah. One, one, one last note, because I know that there, there will be Saigon Kick fans that are watching this or listening to this, and I, they'd probably hate me if I didn't ask. Um, because several years ago, there were Saigon Kick shows with Matt Kramer on vocals. Mm-hmm. What is the relationship with him like at this point? And has there ever been talk of any other shows or anything else with you two together? I don't think that'll ever, 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 ever happen again. 
And okay. I'm not one to talk negatively about anybody sure. because it's just, I'm sure he can go online and say a bunch of terrible things to. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, I don't think this is a place for that, but um, it's just never going to work. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it, I equate it to like one of those things where I can only imagine it's like, if you had a girlfriend like 20 years ago and you had a horrible breakup, just horrible. Right. And then you wind up at some convention hotel like this year and you see her from across the room and somehow you wind up, Oh, Hey, well, you know, how, how are you doing? And why don't we, why don't we just grab a bite to eat real quick and, you know, catch up and you're sitting across the table and, and you're like, Oh my God, like what? This was the greatest. I, I mean, I just love this. I mean, everything about her. She's so stimulating. She's brilliant. She's funny. She's charming and everything's going great. And then next morning you see her for breakfast and she says one thing and you're like, Oh my God, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> now it's all coming back to me. Why? You know, and that's, you know, I'm sure everybody can say that on either side, but it's just one of those things where uh, that's, that's perfect. Because like that, that being said, if somebody came to me and said, Hey, that girl you dated 20 years ago, we want you to go on tour with her. I'd be like, no, <laughs> well, I, no I'm thanks. the first person. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I was friends with all those guys at the time. And, you know, as a, as, you know, as a Skid Row fan, you know, like, I'm like, dude, I want to see Sabat. I want to see that whole thing happen. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. As a friend of Scotty, uh, you know, who's a guitar player in that band, I totally, like, I understand, like, quality of life for everybody involved. A quality of life for Matt not dealing with me. You know, quality, at some point, you know, it, it just becomes about having fun and, and doing what you want to do. And if that yeah. can bring you joy, then do it. If it doesn't, you kind of kind of walk away. Yeah. Well, I, I honestly, at this point, with what you're doing with the Baron Von Bielski Orchestra, um, I'm perfectly happy with what with what you're what you're putting out, and I I'm really looking forward to hearing the rest of the songs um, on this upcoming album. Um, Eddie, you have any parting words before we before we end this? I just want to say, just cycling back around to what we were saying about you know being surprised. I was on my way home from work uh, just the other day, and I just stuck on the Bear Sedatives um, EP. And when I got the flying monkeys, holy shit. <laughs> like, like I just heard that. I thought, I love this. I have no idea what's going on, but I love it. And I'm just driving along I'm, with my face melting off, off my head. Oh, man, thanks. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it doesn't hurt that we have uh, Marco Miniman playing drums on that. Ooh. Oh, wow. So, I don't know if you guys know Marco, but he plays with the Aristocrats, and, like, he's just this insane... So it was one of those tracks where it's not a traditional song. So we were talking about it and I was just so thrilled, you know, to work with him. Uh, I was like, just go nuts. Like, I know normally like there's song structures and things you got to worry about. I was like, this is one of those kind of, and I say it with all due respect to knowing I am not Frank Zappa, but I meant it was Zappa-esque. It's got this tongue in cheek insanity to it. So if anybody can go nuts on this and make it, and some of the stuff when I got his tracks back, I mean, you just have to start laughing. Because it's like the most overplayed insanity in a great way, yeah. in a musical way where he's changing everything up and it's inverting on top of itself and and just just so much fun. So that's been the greatest thing about the solo stuff is just getting to work with these different musicians and hearing, you know, what they bring to the table um, on songs. So for me, it's been like this amazing collaborative kind of thing. Andy Blacksugar, uh, who plays with, uh, well, he plays with Blondie on tour and he plays with KMFDM. Uh, he played. He was Peter Murphy's guitar player forever. Uh-huh. Uh, just a genius and a right hand guy. And Edu Kumanato who played a bunch of drums on stuff. And Ricky Sanders and 
you know, not to name drop, but I always feel like I'm, I, there's such a huge part of, uh, the process for this stuff, because it's like, they're just, you never hand them something. And then you get, that was my big concern when I did the record was just, I was, I asked all my friends and it was right when the pandemic started. And I assumed like of my 23, 24 guys, you know, three would say yes. And everybody else would be occupied. Um, it turned out everybody was home. So I, I like to say it's because of my singular genius and the opportunity to work with me, but the pandemic <laughs> and everybody being bored might've had something to do with it. Yeah. But then I was starting to think, oh my God, like if I asked David Ellison to play on a track or Benji from Skindred to sing mm. or Bumblefoot for that matter, and I don't like mm. what they do, it's going to be like so awkward. I'm going to have to, how do you call a Bumblefoot and say, well, that's not what I had in mind. But the thing I realized is when you're dealing with guys of that much talent, it's like you're getting the coolest like shit back. It's, it was so like every time I'd open yeah. a file, I'd be like, oh my God, like I would have never thought to do that that way. And just in awe of how cool their ideas are. So it, yeah. that is what still excites me about doing this. And it's, it, it's been a real fun process. So. Yeah. That, that, honestly, that's the only thing that I miss doing music on my own now, because I've given up band life, but I do miss that collaborative thing. Um, mm. And, uh, and I don't have really great musician friends. So, <laughs> so um, but to, yeah, but anyway, it's uh yeah, it's what I'm. I'm looking forward to it. for whoever's watching this, Bar the Baron von Bielsi Orchestra, or just you can look up Jason Beeler. It le leads you to it on the internets. But um, highly recommend all of the shit that you know, and of course Saigon Kick because that's what brought us all together here in the first place. Um, but yeah, um, I, we're truly honored to have you on the show, sir, and and to be our first to be our first guest. Not only be somebody that I'm interested in talking to so much, but also um, you've, you've given so much more than like I would even ask for. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks, yeah I can't thank you enough. One for just seeing you when you did the Saigon kick stuff, it was a blast and I enjoyed it. And, uh, your rewrite of the sick riff lyrics, just, <laughs> it really, you know, you, sometimes you have an opportunity in life and I made that left. If I would have went right, like you wanted me to, the whole thing would be different right now. It would have been a Harry Styles like 10. It would have really gone the full mile. That's what, that's what I need to do. I'm going to send Eddie my lyrics and just be like, look, just fuck it up somehow and send it back to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to run everything by Eddie from this point forward. He's going to be on constant, like these lyrics. What do you think? Yeah. But, uh, no, but it, you guys have been blasted and honor. And I wish you tremendous success, obviously with the band, Eddie and, and the, everything Thanks, about dude. it. So any, anytime, uh, you know, let's do it again in the future. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, sir. And, and uh, have, have a good rest of your day. You too, guys. Take care, man. All right. Thanks. Later, dude.